episode 47 of On Air, the Ohio Hockey Digest podcast. The Ohio Hockey Digest is the foremost location for hockey in Ohio, covering every level played from youth and high school to juniors, college, and pro. Articles written to keep the hockey community up to date on all happenings with hockey in Ohio. My name is Tim Sullivan. As always, I'm joined by Jason Lewandowski and producer Dan Humphrey. With On Air, we are bringing you fresh content and adding voices, names, and faces to interesting people making the Ohio hockey community better. This episode of the Ohio Hockey Digest On Air podcast is brought to you by Team Ohio. Time in the rink as a Team Ohio player is about more than competition. It's about seizing opportunities to grow as athletes, being a great teammate, and part of a community. That's why Team Ohio's premier Tier 2 hockey program welcomes youth players ages 5 to 18 years old to join the nationally lauded program. With reasonable fees, transparency, and athlete development, that has prepped players for teams at all levels. Team Ohio is here to coach players for success, both on and off the ice. Go to teamohio.com to learn more. Well, our last episode was a tremendous conversation with Joe Batista, a six-time ACHA National Championship coach at Penn State. It was a wide-ranging discussion that touched on topics such as the founding of the ACHA, some Ohio players that he recruited over the years to go to Penn State the $102 million Pagula gift that he helped secure at Penn State, and then furthering NCAA expansions into the SEC, ACC, the big conferences like that. And then we also got to get a little bit away from hockey and talk about his time as being an author. Jay, you and I talked uh, many times after the show. It was a phenomenal conversation with Coach Batista. And, uh, man, it just I, I, I could have talked to that guy for two hours. Yeah, I, I planted myself a pagula tree, hoping for a pagula gift in the backyard, and <laughs> damn thing didn't even sprout yet. So, no, Joe's always been very intriguing. He's been very uh, motivational. He's been just uh, – Joe Batista, Penn State, class act, all across the board, always has been, always will be. It was a pleasure to have him on. You know, some, it was interesting just to hear how they, they, they came together to create the ACHA. And how he was telling us was that South Dakota state was the number one team at the time, but they weren't invited to the national tournament because the host team invited and they just chose not to invite South Dakota. So others banded together and said, no, you need it. Blah, blah, blah. That was, that was very interesting just to hear the, the, the beginning of what is the ACHA now and to see how it's grown to what, like 500 some teams. And Joe was there when it was eight. And that was really cool. And, and let alone just the discussions we had on his book and how that came about and, and just his, his insight into life and how basically you just break it all down and, and you create your, your, uh, uh, future. Joe's just, I mean, we, like we, like you said, we, we spoke a lot after the, after that show and, and I'm putting Joe Batista up there in the top three of, all we've done in 47 episodes. Yeah, it was that, you know what, what was so interesting about that conversation to me was we talked a lot about hockey. We talked a lot about the administrative side of hockey, the uh, in between the glass side of hockey. And then we got away from hockey and we talked about like passion. You know, I know we wrote the book pragmatic passion, but we talked about passion. It doesn't have to just be with hockey. You know, it could be with whatever you're doing it. And, I just thought that conversation was all over the map in such a good way, but he kept blending it all together and he used his, uh, you know, his, 
passion for hockey and his passion for fundraising to get him to where he was happy in life and doing what he loved to do. And he loved to do it for uh, his alma mater, Penn State. So it was, I just was, uh, uh, you know, thrilled with the conversation. Um, I know we took a, a week off uh, for the holiday, but uh, I could have listened to that one. I listened to it actually twice you know, when I was out of town and it was, uh, you just pick up something new every time you listen to it. Well, this week we get a 1993 graduate of Miami University. He was the two-time captain that played in the school's first conference championship team, an NCAA tournament qualifier as a senior while winning the CCHA's best defensive forward award. He then spent seven years playing professionally during, uh, including stops with Toledo Storm and the Cincinnati Cyclones. This week, we're going to be interviewing Coach Chris Bergeron, the head coach of the University of Miami Redhawks. That's going to be an interesting conversation. I know we had uh, some clips from him earlier in the year, and uh, he was very passionate, if you will, about the state of Miami hockey. Um, <clears throat> coach Burge has been successful everywhere he's been, and I know that the University of Miami is not where Coach Burge wants it to be, or Miami University, excuse me, isn't the U? The U's down in Florida. Yeah, the U's down in Florida. The U's down in Florida. So I, I know Coach Burge isn't, isn't uh, happy where the program is at this state, but if the indication or he's – his past is any indication as he was once uh, one of the top guys at Miami playing one of the top guys at Miami coaching and recruiting, then going to BG and making that program uh, basically bringing it back to top in the country. And there's no doubt in my mind that coach Burge will do that down there at Miami again. Yeah. Looking forward to the conversation with him, especially now that we just wrapped up the NCAA frozen four and man, that was an amazing uh, feat there. Congratulations to, uh, UMass on a great win there. Um, but so this is going to be a good one. But before we get into that, what's new with you guys? Danny, how's everything going with you? Uh, how the garden's going? You got anything going? Uh, so we actually got some got some seeds in the ground yesterday. Okay. So we got the spinach, radishes, beets, peas, and beans. And now now, do you just... have a fence? Do you have a fence around this or covering? Yes. Okay. Let, let me just give you just not not advice, but experience that has happened to me. Like a lot of the um, the beans, like we lose a lot of that stuff because the birds come down and eat the, eat the leaves, and they can never like then flower up and then get get the beans. That's why you put a bird net on it. Well, that's what we've done. But the first listen, this is true story. The first year I ever did this. First year I ever did this. It took me like three hours to plant this damn stuff. I come and take a shower. We go out and, and grab a, a bite to eat and a beer. I come back. It was all gone. Between the rabbits and the birds, within three hours, gone. I think the deer, well, the deer get in there too. Deer cannot get, we have already had this discussion. The deer is not getting over my fence. We've already yes, talked about it this. Is. Ah. Oh, I'm man. telling you. The, the, it's for the birds. That's what it means. It's for the birds. I'm going to put a camera out there. What's going on with you, Sully? It'll it'll shock you to watch a deer (laughs) jump eight feet. Like, you'll be floored. They're not doing it. All right. But whatever. Let's get that camera out. Um, You didn't get any chickens yet? No, not yet. We're still – I talked to my neighbors on either side. Well, actually, on the one side. I don't really talk to the other guy. But um, And he was – my one neighbor is perfectly fine with it. It's just – it's not – 
zoned in my development. We don't have an HOA, but according to the city I live in, we you, you can have chickens in the city, but you can't have them in a developmental or not developmental, but in a development uh, setting. So, Danny, I have a question: Do female chickens make noise? Uh, yes, but not as loud as their male counterparts. Problem is, if you get them as chicks, you're not, I mean, you can't really tell the difference until it's too late. So when I go to buy these things, I, just, I don't know if I'm buying a male or female? No. Oh, I would so like, I mean, 90% of the time you're buying a female, but. Well, that's the fine print that they don't tell you. Yeah. Well, anyway, so we haven't got that yet, but I, uh, I spent some time in Florida. I spent five days out in Florida. It was nice. It was, uh, but you know, it was kind of funny because it was like the same weather as we had up here in Cleveland last week. So, uh, but no, it was nice to uh, go down to Florida, spend some time down there and, you know, back to, uh, today's Monday, we're, 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 uh, taping this on Monday. So, uh, for us in the educational world, back to school today. And, um, we only got about five or six weeks left to school. So, can't believe that we actually got through well knock on wood got through the year so far uh as as far as we did uh during this pandemic love what about you oh uh, you know all you guys talking about your gardens and i go to a farm so i went out to illinois to the to the uh, outlaws and got on a farm and saw the uh saw the combines and the tractors and the double wheels and the they were doing some cultivation. And, and when I came home, I had to come home early for work and uh, I was notified that they were uh, began planting. So they were planting beans the other day. I think I believe they finished up this week. Make so sure you know. let them know to watch out for the birds. Yeah. Well, they don't uh, have I, a I mean, now, now we're funny, right? <laughs> oh, I thought this was a hockey podcast, not a comical po- podcast. Okay. All right. Oh, try the veal. And so, uh, yeah, so it was, I mean, it was, it was nice. It's relaxing. I'll tell you what, when you can see it's, it's like, in my opinion, it's like being at Bowling Green In Bowling Green, you can see all the way to to downtown Toledo. So flat. Well, where I was, I could probably see half of St. Louis from where I was. So it's nice and flat. It's nice and quiet. It's, uh, they go at a different speed. It was a nice, it was a nice relaxing trip. And, uh, that's about it, man. Jay, did you ever drive the, uh, like the big combine or any of that stuff? No, I have not. I've uh, been associated with the family for over 15 years. I've never once. My son is five. I'm sorry, my son is six. Uh, he's been in the combine. Uh, he was in the combine last fall when they harvested, and he was in the double wheel. And the first time I ever drove a tractor, I almost flipped my father-in-law off of it because I popped a clutch on it, and he almost went flying. So it was – I retired. Right. Yeah, we called it. Okay. So, what other what other machinery do they have uh, uh, over there that uh, your son likes to ride on? Does your daughter like to ride on them too? She does, but she doesn't really care for it yet. She's not all gung ho like he is. Okay. Now they have you know the front end loading tractor. They have the harvest, uh, which is the combine, the harvester. Uh, they have. I mean, they they. It's like a toy toy store for my son, but they're all real and live like I, I sent you that picture when i got there uh that friday and the size of that combine is just ridiculous yeah it's insane i mean it's so big it's so i mean it's crazy so 
No, we, don't get to, we don't get to see much of that one because, you know, obviously growing up in the city, we don't get to see much of that. And I'm always amazed when I'm driving like down 83 down near uh, Lodi area when those big combines are driving down the road. Yeah. It's like you could drive your car underneath them. Oh, yeah. To, you know what I mean? So easily. Yeah. So, yeah, that was good. I, I saw the uh, grain cart. So when they are harvesting in the field and the combine fills up, carts will pull up and be it by tractor, by I've seen 18 wheelers pull up, you know, and they unload into the, into the back of those. Um, I saw the, the grain cart where my son fell off of. Oh yeah. 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 It's pretty good fall. Good job. So yeah, you know. Well, uh, before we get going with coach Berger on here, let's see what's new in the news of the Ohio hockey digest. The Columbus Blue Jackets made three deals in advance of Monday's NHL trading deadline, dealing captain Nick Foligno and forward Riley Nash, the Toronto Maple Leafs, and defenseman David Savard to the Tampa Bay Lightning. Columbus picked up five draft picks for the three impending unrestricted free agents, including a pair of first-rounders in the 2021 and third- and fourth-rounders in 2022. Guys, what's your thoughts? I mean, getting rid of your captain halfway through the year um, – I don't know. I mean, Taylor Hall, he, he bounced out of Buffalo. He was probably, his bags were probably packed before he even got traded. Like, get me the hell out of here. Uh, he goes to Boston for second round picks. <clears throat> Jeff Carter has been in LA for how long? Jeff Carter's been in LA for years. Yeah. He, he leaves, goes to Pittsburgh and then backup goalie, David Riddick uh, to Toronto for a 2022 pick. I mean, what's your thoughts first on, on Nick Foligno getting traded? Why well, I, I... <clears throat> on the way home today, I was listening to uh, NHL radio and they had Yarmo Kakalainen on and he said that uh, they spoke with Nick and he understood the position they were in uh, being that they, they're not in a rebuild, but they're kind of in a slight overhaul and it had to make sense for both sides. And, and Nick obviously has some hockey history with his uh, dad and his brother and his, I think, I believe his dad played in Toronto in 93 and uh, he was excited for it. He understood the, the way, the direction that uh, Columbus was going. And uh, I mean, just as, as Yarmo said on the, on the tele or the broadcast was just a consummate team guy. He understood the position we were in. We were up front and open with him the whole time. And, you know, we tried to find a move that was, was good for both. And, you know, does it suck losing your captain? Oh God. Yeah. And he's just, a, who steps in, who steps in to be the captain? I read today that there's nobody yet. They're going to continue with two A's and deal with it at the end of the year. I also heard today that, um, and again, my my date days might be an, uh, a little bit off, but these guys that are going from states to a Canadian team, they're going to have to quarantine for 10 days, I believe it is. I thought it was, yeah, 7 to 10, yeah. Yeah, something like that. Mm-hmm. So they're going to be inactive for, I mean, do you think at any point that was in the minds of any of these teams with these trades? Like, I don't want to lose a guy for 10 days. I think so. I mean, it almost has to be. Sure. Um, I forgot who just, man, it was recent that, oh, it was uh, when Pierre-Luc Dubois got traded out of Columbus for Patrick Line and even Line coming here. They both had to quarantine. So they, I mean, you're, you're, no. you're looking at future dates coming. So I believe Felino is supposed to arrive in Canada tomorrow. Because as I was reading this morning, he was at Nationwide saying his goodbyes and all that. So I'm assuming he'll be in Toronto tomorrow. And tomorrow start is day one of his seven days. 
So right. I'm sure it plays in, man. It, it has to, which is going to be interesting when the North Division and the other uh, uh, United States divisions come together for the finals. Are we going to have to wait seven days? Well, you probably lunch? would. Mm-hmm. I mean, are they going to put him back in a bubble again? I don't know. I haven't heard. Right. So, yeah, and in, you look down the list, you know, Taylor Hall. Taylor Hall probably had was probably getting anxious because his car was running. You, once you, ever see, you ever see the cartoon of, like, the roadrunner, like, <laughs> oh, yeah. <laughs> that oh, was yeah. him bailing, out of, yeah. bailing yeah. out of Buffalo. Yeah, his car was running. So he's like, hey, are we going to make this trade? Because I'm, you know, <laughs> I'm running out of gas and I got to get somewhere. <laughs> and then Jeff Carter, I mean, obviously L.A. is, is in a youth movement. Um and it's a good move for Pittsburgh getting a, a, a bottom six forward that could help out in a, in a playoff push. So it's, it's, I mean, and as far as David Riddick, Toronto's making good moves, man. Toronto's yeah. Toronto's on a push, man. They're going for sure. it. Sure. So anyways, there's a lot going on in the world of college hockey right now. We'll start with some pro signings, Ohio state sophomore defenseman, Layton Ahak forgive me, signed with the Vegas Golden Knights, which selected him in the third round of the 2019 NHL entry draft. Lakewood native and former Cleveland Junior Baron netminder Adam Scheel left North Dakota following his junior season to sign a two-year entry-level contract with the Dallas Stars organization. Scheel joins the Texas Stars of the American Hockey League on the road in Colorado and made his professional debut on April 6th against Columbus native Kiefer Sherwood and the Colorado Eagles. We'll talk more about this with Coach Bergeron coming up, but the NCAA's decision to allow an extra year of eligibility in response to the COVID pandemic has led to a flurry of activity in the transfer portal. Seniors can now change schools without sitting out a year and play a fifth year of NCAA hockey next season. Six Bowling Green Falcons transferred out, including four of their top five scorers. Forward Connor Ford, the team captain will join the University of North Dakota. Forward Max Johnson heads to the University of Wisconsin. Defenseman Tim Theocardis is on his way to Arizona State. And forward Brandon Cruss and goaltender Eric Dopp will both join Boston College. Finally, junior defenseman Will Cullen is going to transfer to Miami. Also on the transfer front, Miami brought in freshman P.J. Fletcher from Quinnipiac and lost senior forward Casey Gilling to Minnesota Duluth. Junior forward Jake Wise went from Boston University to Ohio State, and Bemidji State goaltender Zach Driscoll transferred to North Dakota, potentially opening up a spot in the Beavers' Creeks for Columbus native and former Gilmore Academy prep goaltender Michael Carr. Hey, you think the Zach Driscoll once uh, Adam Shield left, do you think he was like, I'm out? Yep. I, it, it seems that way. I mean, the dominoes fall. Right. I, I would imagine. Okay. Shaker Heights native Colin Purcell, who tends goal for the Youngstown Phantoms in the USHL, will join the University of Massachusetts next season to help them with their national title defense. Was selected to play in the BioSteel All-American game last week at USA Hockey Arena in Plymouth, Michigan. Purcell was one of two USHL goalies selected to play in the game which pitted a team of USHL All-Stars against the U.S. National Team Development Program. Three former AAA Ohio Blue Jackets were on the ice at Nationwide Arena on Saturday with Jack Roslovic and Cole Sherwood playing for the Blue Jackets and Connor Murphy for the Chicago Blackhawks. 
What a great night for the AAA Blue Jackets and a showcase of the Ohio talent pipeline in Ohio. Former Miami head coach Enrico Blasi will be back behind the bench next season at St. Thomas University. St. Thomas is moving up to Division I next season as a member of the new CCHA, which will also include Bowling Green. Does it shock you? Does it shock you? Does it shock me? It shocked me he went to uh, Providence. Right. So This does not shock me. No, no, this doesn't shock me either because when we talked to Coach, you know, he did mention he he will be back on the bench again. Yes. Right? Um, So now the question is, see, there's two things I'd love to ask him. One – why did he not break the news of Providence while he was on our show? And two, at that time, were they already in discussions on this? Well, you, you would have to think that St. Thomas was already in discussion on going Division One back then. Yep. Because this isn't just a, a, a you know, energetic decision or, or knee-jerk decision that you make. Right. You just, right? Um, but to get a coach like like Rico to come in there and build this program, whoo! Someone who's already built a program? Woo. That's good like, news, man. Like Bill Rafferty says on the CBS College, "Woo, onion!" I mean, he is going. He, this is going to be good stuff. St. Thomas in Minnesota, going up the ladder now with Coach Blasey. So, congratulations to Coach, uh, and also congratulations to St. Thomas University on uh, making the move up to Division One. Yeah. The USPHL announced all-star teams last week, and three Ohio natives playing for the Ohio-based teams in the Great Lakes Division were honored. Pickerington's Derek Richardson from the Columbus Mavericks, former Upper Arlington Bear Tim Kramer of the Columbus Mavericks, and Toledo native and former St. Francis Knight Tim Organ of the Toledo Cherokee. Go to www.ohiohockeydigest.com to find a complete list. Yeah, speaking of Ohio Hockey Digest, um, one member that's not with us, management isn't with us again. He's still on hiatus. Yeah. And then I saw that Scott Harrington uh, was just brought up to the Columbus Blue Jackets. And then I realized uh, that's a totally different Scott Harrington, the one we know, because the Scott Harrington in the NHL would actually pay us to do this job and he w- <laughs> and we would have a good time. Whereas our Scott Harrington just jumps in and out as he pleases. Obviously he, I mean, I'm sure he wanted to talk to coach Bergeron, but he picks and chooses his spots. I mean, it's, so Actually, don't forget to read the ads. Don't forget to read the ads. Well, you know, maybe if I forget to read the ads, then you won't get paid. Oh, oh, is that how that works? It's funny. All right, back to the news. Gilmore Academy announced the following player advancements. Forward Dylan Deco will head north of the border to play for the Junior A Rockland Nationals in Ontario next season. Brady Clemenson, a 6'4", 215-pound forward, whoa, will play junior hockey for the Walpole Express of the Eastern Hockey League. And 6'4", 205-pound defenseman Landon Peterson will move on to play for the Notre Dame Hounds of the Junior A Saskatchewan Junior Hockey League. And its Toledo Cherokee of the USPHL, so a trio of their players all land with the same NCAA Division III program as forwards Drew Welsh, Zeth Stelmazek, excuse me, and defenseman Tim Organ all committed to Trine University. Welsh and Oregon will join the Thunder in the fall, while Stelmazek will make his way to campus in 2022. Head over to www.ohiohockeydigest.com to see a list of recent player advancements from the coverage area. Let's see what's going on with the Cleveland Monsters in this week's Monsters Minute. A five-game winning streak has pushed the Cleveland Monsters into second place in the Central Division. 
Last Saturday, the Monsters poured in a franchise record 9 goals and a 9-2 win on the road against Rochester that saw 9 different players find the back of the net. Defenseman Jake Christensen and Thomas Shemich had a goal and 3 assists each, while Liam Foody chipped in 4 points of his own. Cleveland's third-ranked power play unit went 4-for-9 on the night. On Wednesday, Dylan Simpson scored twice and Tristan Mullen found his first pro goal in a 5-3 win over the same Rochester squad. Netminder Daniil Tarasov made 17 saves and notched his first AHL point with the assist on Simpson's second goal, an empty netter with 108 to play. Cleveland has won 10 of 13 games since dropping their first three games of the campaign. The Monsters' 8-13 road winning percentage is second best in the league as the club have posted a 6-1-1-0 record away from Rocket Mortgage Fieldhouse. The Monsters wrap up a stretch of three straight games against Rochester on Saturday, April 17th at home before hitting the road for games against Grand Rapids on Tuesday and Wednesday. The Monsters Minute is brought to you by the Ohio Hockey Project, Northeast Ohio's leader in player development and advancement. Take your training to the next level this offseason with the Ohio Hockey Project. Let's get on air with Miami University Redhawks head coach, Chris Bergeron. Our next guest became the sixth head coach in Miami University hockey history on April 5th, 2019, and just completed his second season trying to restore the program to the national profile he helped it reached in his prior stint as assistant coach. Please welcome to the program, former Buffalo Stampede sniper and the head coach <laughs> of the Miami Redhawks, Coach Chris Bergeron. Welcome, Coach. Thanks for joining us tonight. Yeah, thanks for having me. I haven't been called a Buffalo Stampede sniper. I don't think ever. <laughs> well, I, 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 th- I think we try to break. We try to go. Di- we dig deep into people's. Packs, I like it. You know? I like yeah. it. I like I it. I think we'd be good on like uh, if we were if Love and I were some sort of politician. Like you had to go in and, and grab people's information. So. Yeah, I got you. Fair. It's good. <laughs> so, uh, Coach, uh, there's so much we want to get into uh, with you regarding your playing and coaching career in Ohio. Uh, but there's a lot going on in the world of college hockey right now. Uh, so we'd like to just get your perspective on some current events before we get going. Uh, the Frozen Forwards this past weekend, how much of that tournament uh, do you watch? And, and what were your thoughts of that tournament? Um, I, I do watch the tournament. Uh, I'm always um, excited for those teams that are there. and But we also like to use it. And this goes back to, you know, I remember – Blaschel and I and Blasey sitting around having a Coke or whatever, watching the national tournament when our team wasn't in it saying, what do we need to do to get there? Um, and, and ever since then, that's kind of been the way I watched the tournament. How do we, how do we get there? Uh, whether it was assistant here or head coach at Bowling Green or back here now. Um, so I always take a kind of a, our own personal um, uh, spin on it and, and how do we get our team there? Um, uh, and, and, you know, I, I think it's a, a pretty cool tournament and, and it's literally anybody can win four games. You get hot for two weeks in a row and, and, and all of a sudden you find yourself, um, you know, in a frozen four or winning a national championship or whatever. And I think that that 09 team at Miami was a prime example of that. I mean, we lost the first round of the playoffs. We probably just snuck in the national tournament and we were a minute away from winning a national title. And that, that to me is what's so cool about the tournament. Um, um, you know, there, there was an NCHC flavor, so there was teams that we knew, um, which I, you know, you, you obviously cheer for teams in your league. Um, and we were using it to our players. We've been preparing. This is our third week now of preparation for 21-22, and we want kids that, 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 are, that are upset about that. They should be playing. We should be playing, not, not preparing. Uh, and that's something that we're trying to – that's a mentality to me, and it's part of the culture we want to create. 
Um, so there, there was a lot of different heads of how we watched it. Um, and, you know, I, 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 it looked like the best team won. Uh, it, you, UMass looked like they were on a mission and, and good for them. Congratulations to, uh, to Greg and his whole staff and his whole program. So the NCAA made the decision to grant a blanket fifth year of eligibility to all hockey players, regardless of COVID's impact on their program specifically. Uh, that's allowed seniors to transfer without having to sit out a year. We've seen the NHL, or NCAA's version of the NHL free agent frenzy over the yep. last few weeks. <laughs> was this an unintended consequence of granting the fifth year coach? Yeah, I think it was. Um, not all of us can afford we all have 18, right? So we have our, our salary cap is 18 folds. So what if, if our seniors had a stayed, we can go 19, 20, 21, 22, potentially, if, if I'm making sense. So they allowed us to go above the 18 if we kept seniors internal. Um, so that was one option. Not everybody has the money. Um, you, you've got all these kids committed. In, in our particular case, it was probably um time for a change we had six seniors two of them had jobs and were moving on uh four of them there were discussions um all four of them felt and we felt as a program was probably best that a change of scenery was what was uh was appropriate and i think that happened a lot more than people thought it was going to happen um you know the, the only four teams that really haven't had a taste of it yet are the four that are, are playing in the frozen four and now they're done uh, but one of our seniors committed to Duluth so they were still you know they they, they were still recruiting uh, it'll just be interesting to see if there's any changes from their program say of seniors leaving from an internal standpoint and and and, and entering the transfer portal or whatever but it's been crazy I mean uh, uh, every five seconds you're hitting the refresh on your computer to see what <laughs> names are in the portal. Um, and I, I do think it was an unintended, unintended consequence. Um, maybe some kids have played uh, at a lower level and that's perception only yep. in terms of league wanted to go up and maybe some people that were in the top leagues and, and, and didn't play as much wanted to go and play more. It would have to ask each individual kid, but I don't think the NCAA intended it to be this way. I think they just wanted to do right by everybody, in particular student-athletes. Well, it's been exciting, but how, how have you personally ha approached the, the, the portal in, in regard to, as you said, Casey Gilling transferring out to Duluth, yet you're able to bring in Will Cullen from Bowling Green? Yeah. For, for, for you guys that have, have spent, I mean, I think you've done a little bit of digging on, on me as an individual and, and what we got to do here. I'm a 100% a culture guy. And you don't build the culture the way I'd like it and Barry and, and Eric would like to build it with one-year guys. Will Cullen is different because we know Will. We recruited Will. We coached him for two years. Uh, uh, the other people we have coming in are multiple-year guys. Um, and, 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 you know, they're underclassmen. Um, so, you know, the, 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 the overall, the, the transfer rule people are saying are, is going to change. Um, in that you can transfer one time without sitting out outside of the grad transfers. Uh, but that's a whole, that's all, that's all just discussion that none of that is ruled yet. So there are, there are situations where, um, we, we looked at it and we said, no, this kid's got a year, another year because he was, he, he got this year back. Um, so he graduated from where he was from, but he still has two years to play his senior year plus the year that they got back from this year. So, um, it, 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 we are not going to build this program on one-year guys. Do programs that have solidified cultures 
do, do they look in the portal and get one year guys? Yeah, I think they could and, and get guys that can come in and make an immediate impact. Um, you know, I think Boston College, let's just say, for example, I know Brandon Cruz and Eric Dopp, uh, personally, obviously, you, you guys know that, and, yeah. and they both committed to Boston College. I think Boston College has established what they are as a program, their culture, and what Brandon and Eric are walking into, are, are you know, they can help for one year. So there's, there's going to be different ways of looking at it. Uh, but for me, it's, you know, I think a kid like Will Cullen is a little bit different because we knew him. Um, but we, we can't... I want to say make a living because that's not fair, but we're not going to build this culture with one year guys. We're just not. So we're, we're, we're taking it step by step. Um, if there's a situation where the guy makes our team better, and even if it's only for a year, we're going to pursue that. We will talk about that, but we need, if it's one or two, it can't be more than that. It just can't be. We need to have multiple year guys so we can, we can get a culture established about who we want to be, why we want to be that. Yeah. And, and again, I, I, it, it actually, it, it feels good to hear you say that, Coach, that um, we, we see in some of these more polar, uh, polarized sports, like let's use college basketball, for example, yeah. one and done, one and done. And for you to, to, to say and to have this culture of your program being, hey, we are here for the for the distance, right? Mm-hmm. And that's how we're going to build it. That's that's music to my ears to hear that. And I hope a lot of our listeners that, that listen to this podcast understand the importance of that when it comes to a team and, and building a, a program. I, I, I am telling you right now, the best, the best, the best guys are the seniors, right? You go as far as your seniors take you. We have it written on our wall, leave Miami hockey better than you found it. We're not talking about one year. That's, that's multiple years. That's, that's four. And, and maybe in some cases, five years. I remember I had a buddy of mine who was the men's basketball coach at Bowling Green. And we both talked one day. And I talked about leaving the program better than you found it. And he looked at me like, what are you talking about? <laughs> the culture in our sport is to win now and, 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 and just focus on one year. And, sure. and we're trying to build a program. Um, and it, it, I'm not saying one's right and one's wrong. I'm saying that's just the way we want to do it. I believe that's the way we did it here for 10 years as, when I was sitting in the other chair. That's, I know what we did at Bowling Green for nine and, and, and hopefully we're here for, you know, for as long as it takes to, to, to get this right. But it's going to be based on a culture, and that's going to be the older guys are going to get us there. Um, that's what's so hard about it. I, I, I didn't blame the seniors last year, blame the seniors this year. They had, they had three different, uh, excuse me, two different head coaches and six different assistant coaches plus a pandemic. It, it, it was almost unfair to these boys. And never mind, I'm just speaking specifically Miami. That's college athletes in general. Um, but I've, I'm a firm believer that you'll go as far as your seniors take you. And, and you have to build that. That's not a, a one-year senior. That's a four-year senior. Yeah. Yeah, so we're, we'll get back to uh, Miami here in a minute. But let's get to you. Let's talk about how you ended up playing uh, at Miami. So talk to us a little bit about your growing up, your youth, your junior hockey, and then you ended up at Miami. How did you end up there? Yeah, I, I, uh, I grew up what I, my, my high school years was Wallaceburg, Ontario. So basically a small town in between uh, London and Windsor. Um, I played uh, junior C hockey in Wallsburg. They had a, they didn't have triple A midget or uh, really in our area. So I just played junior as a, a 16, 17 year old and 18. I went to Chatham and played for the, the, the Maroons. Uh, and uh, I played with a guy named Brian Wiseman, who was an assistant coach at Michigan, who was like a, uh, in that area of the world, 
he was just a, a hockey God. And, and I got lucky. I had a good year and uh, the two coaches from Miami came and see me, came to see me play a couple times. And um, they invited my mom and dad and myself down to Oxford. Um, anyone that's been to Oxford would probably understand the statement. Like you're driving through these cornfields and then all of a sudden you, you pull into Oxford and you're like, wow, this is, this is okay. And it was really what I pictured in my mind um, uh, about what a, a college campus in the U S would look like. I mean, I was a Canadian guy that went to Red Wing games, but really it didn't cross the border for much other reason. Um, and, and at that time, if you weren't good, if you weren't good enough to play in the OHL, you weren't going anywhere in hockey. And I wasn't good enough to play in the OHL. I didn't choose not to, I, I, I wasn't good enough. Uh, um, and, and my four years at Miami were really good. I mean, I came in as a freshman, didn't know what to expect, uh, really wasn't making much of an impact. By my senior year, we won the CCHA, um, something all of myself and all my teammates were proud of, Rico Blasi being one of them. I mean, Rico and I played three years together here at, at Miami. Um, and then I played seven or eight years of minor pro. And, you know, I started to think about, okay, what am I going to do when I'm done? And uh, when Rico got the job in 99, he gave me a call and, and uh, my coaching, the rest is history in the coaching career. So um, it was it was basically – not, not what I know, but who I know. And I know sure. you guys have heard that before. Oh, yeah. <laughs> I'm a prime example of that. So you're, you're now back in Oxford for your third tour of duty, if you will. Yeah. Um, it must be a special place for you, obviously. You know, can you talk to us just about some of your experiences as a student athlete that has made Miami so special for you and, and for others as well down there? The thing that comes to mind is my second year, we had five wins and we were arguably one of the worst teams in the country. And there was a, a line drawn in the sand, figuratively, not not literally, that the group wasn't gonna wasn't gonna have it anymore. And the next year we finished in fifth and went on the road to Western Michigan and beat them in the play in the first round and went to Joe Lewis Arena, which in the old days of the CCHA, that was the thing to do. Go to the final four in, in your league playoffs to Joe Lewis. And the next year we won the league. And that's what when I think about my time at Miami, that's what I think about. And when I talk about you learn more about yourself in losing and adversity than you do in winning, um, that was my playing career here. Uh, we were the laughing stock of a league that was a, you know, a pretty darn good league in the in the late '80s, early '90s, and and then and then the end of the year, um, we used to hear nothing about Miami. Right, my first three years, and my fourth year, we go to Joe Lewis, and he used to have this really cool banquet the night before the the, the semifinals. It was at the Fox Theater, a big deal. Well, it was Miami night. It was Brian Savage, player of the year, Gwazdecki, coach of the year, first team, second team. I mean, it was – and what a, what a really cool moment for a program that, you know, you're on Southwestern Ohio. This I don't know if they ever thought Miami hockey was going to be what we were that year, and I think that was the first time we kind of were that, you know, ranked in the top five and, and, and national tournament and all that stuff. Um, it was a really – when I think back, and again, I know I speak on behalf of the teammates that I had um, – a really proud moment for us. Um, and that's what I think about at Miami. I mean, it was a fun place. Anyone that's been to Oxford knows it's fun and stuff like that. And it, it, I, it, I, you know, I remember the fun, uh, the, uh, the, the, the high street fun and stuff like that, but it's, it's that getting through that adversity and then having it in your rear view mirror with a league championship to celebrate. That was something that was pretty special to, to that group of kids. I was going to ask, I mean, no, no talk about CJ's or <laughs> the bagel place where you can write your oh. name in chalk. <laughs> I know a couple places, be, coach, I apologize. Our, our place, our place used to be attractions, uh, okay. which is no longer there. Uh, 
a lot of the guys would talk about attractions and stuff like that. No, we, uh, I, I, I'm familiar with some of those things that you just threw out yeah, there. You've heard of those before. I've heard you? of those places. <laughs> okay, I, have, I have. Fair enough. Fair enough. Yeah. So we're going to stick to your coach. Those must have been on the visitor guide. Like you get the visitor guide. <laughs> exactly. I think I had in. a t-shirt. I had a t-shirt that said pubs of Oxford. That's the only way I do. I never <laughs> stepped foot in the place. So we're going to stick to the coaching right now, but we'll, we'll get to your pro playing career later if we have time, because you played for both Toledo and Cincinnati Cyclones, but quickly tell us what was professional roller hockey like? You know, it was, it was awesome. It was the best summer job I ever had. I was just going to ask, what well, did it end up being like a summer job for the guys I mean, playing in the winter? I mean, we were, I played for a guy named Chris McSorley with the Toledo Storm. And, and literally Chris, anyone that knows Chris McSorley knows this statement. He could sell ice to the Eskimos, man. This guy, <laughs> this guy was, was a classic. He was Marty's, Marty McSorley's brother. I don't know if he's older or younger. It's irrelevant. He would carry around a briefcase to look important. And in the briefcase was an apple and a, and a Snickers bar, I think. I mean, literally. <laughs> so anyway, we win the, 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 C- or the East Coast League Championship for the second year in a row in Toledo. And he gets approached to, it was the second year of the RHI. He gets approached to start this franchise in Buffalo. So a bunch of us from Toledo go to Buffalo. And I mean, it was a great summer. You know, my, my, my girlfriend, who's now my wife, came and lived with us. We played at the auditorium in Buffalo. We, every, every rink with the exception of one or two played in the NHL arena. So we flew around the country. It was, it was unreal, man. The games were on ESPN and we ended up winning the championship. Like we had, <laughs> we had this one player, John Beccarelli was like the Wayne Gretzky of roller hockey, man. No, he was unstoppable. And, uh, and then, and then ultimately it kept me in shape. Uh, you know, all of us were, were ice hockey players, you know, somewhere between the double A and triple A level. There was some American league guys. There was mostly East coast guys, at least on our team. Um, and the only thing that was weird was when we went back to ice hockey, the skating was different and the, and the puck felt like it was a, a thousand pounds. Uh, the roller <laughs> hockey puck is a lot lighter and, and you can shoot it better. And, uh, but it was, uh, it was a really fun summer. Look, when I think back of that, that's a really uh, fun memory. We had, we had a bunch of fun and, 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 and in the, the playoffs were bonus based. So the better you did in the playoffs, the more money you made. And we won the championship. So, um, so that's why I say it was the best summer job I had. <laughs> Perfect. <laughs> so uh back to coaching everybody knows about the 10 ncaa appearances in 12 years for miami between 2004 2015 but the first three years you were there the red hawks didn't win a round in the league tournament much less make the ncaa's what were you able to learn during those first three years coaching and recruiting in the ncaa, yeah. NCAA uh that you were able to bring with you when you then left to go to bowling green and now back in miami yeah uh man we, we learned so much i mean uh the, the the first three years first of all i learned coaching was more than just a better the, the next best thing to playing i realized coaching is really difficult um getting the most out of people was difficult but what i what i i thought i i, I got okay at was really identifying the type of person slash player that um, you, 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 you really value what he is and you don't worry about what he isn't. And, and I, I think we, we got good at that. We had got, well, he doesn't do this great. He doesn't do that great. No, but he's really competitive. He's a winner. He finds a way to make that play at that time. Um, and, and, you know, when, when the, over the course of the last seven years there, I mean, even the, the first three too, we, we probably, the first three, what we did was we, we learned by making mistakes. We didn't focus on, uh, on, on, on the internal person, we focused on the hockey player and it was, 
it, it, it caused for concern for for mistake after mistake. Uh, where the last seven years we really, whether it was Rico and I and Blash or or however we came up with it, is let's start taking a chance on a human being versus a hockey player. Meaning you have to be able to play the game a certain way for sure, but let's take a chance on the person, somebody who's going to engage in the relationships and be willing to trust. Uh, and, and, and that player, we can usually get more out of him. And that's what we were able to do uh, at Miami during that time. And then, and then as you get later on, then you got guys like Carter Camper that call you, um, you know, a kid from Rocky river who, whose mom or his dad went to Miami and, you know, so, but those kids weren't coming to us at the beginning. And then you get good and all of a sudden, you know, Corrales now interested, right? And, and Connor Murphy's now interested. Well, what we, how we brought that to Bowling Green is first and foremost, is I think I, I started with my staff. I mean, anyone that spent five minutes with Barry Shooty realized he's one of the best human beings you're going to meet. He's an intense guy, probably not, qu- not quite as intense as, as me. Because, and I, and I, I'm complimenting him on that. Um, and Ty Eigner, who's a, who's an awesome guy. So that that's the way we started. Let's do the same thing with the staff. Let's get the best people possible. What they don't know, they'll learn. What they do know, you can't teach somebody. Um, and 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 then you go from there. Uh, and then it was just a matter of uh, getting to relevancy where that kid would want to come play for us. So the, 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 honestly, the, the the blueprint was exactly the same. It just takes time to to you got to win enough games to attract that player slash person uh but you need to you need that person to win games so it's what's going to come first um but we feel like we're not in the business of taking chance on hockey players we're taking chances on people and if you if you have your your no matter what's in terms of the way the kid is wired the type of teammate he is his willingness to come out of outside his comfort zone you know, he's not making excuses. He does take ownership for himself and his actions. Um, I don't think he can go wrong. And that's, that's the blueprint we're sticking to, man. I, I mean, for me, it's worked. Um, and, and we're not, we're not going to deviate from that. Do we, you know, do, do you tweak it? Yes. But you don't, you don't go away from the guts of who we are and that's people and getting the most out of people. And, and the way you do that is you get the best people possible. So that, that's the blueprint. So, so, you, and, and just to kind of talk a little more about that, obviously you were heavily involved in recruiting as an assistant under uh, Rico, uh, yeah. who's now back at St. Thomas. So congratulations to him. Yeah. Um, a lot of programs have their go-to junior leagues or programs that they, you know, kind of focus on. You know, what were the most important uh, attributes that you would look for in a recruit? Uh, on ice, off ice, whatever it may yeah. be. Competitiveness was the first and foremost thing. I, I, I was uh, – I was a guy that uh, that was pretty limited, but I, I did think I was competitive as a player, and that my eye always goes to that. I I I, I do like to have a little bit bigger of a team, uh, but but obviously I know that uh, hockey players are made up of all sizes. But I, but I I I, I I'm not going to look away from the competitiveness part. Um, uh, we throw a puck in the corner, and I want kids that are willing to fight for that puck. The other thing that we looked at um, specifically was body language. I, I, I don't like the defeated body language. I don't like the uh, shoulders uh, slunched, uh, slouched and, or, or the blame uh, it's somebody else's fault. And, and I think in recruiting, you can pick that up. And it is something that, you know, um, we took pride in. You know, anybody go to a game and see the kid that scores five goals and be like, wow, he's a really good player. Uh, I'm talking about that intangible, that, that, that makeup of the, of the player. So it was, it was competitiveness. 
it was a, a lot of, a lot of body language. I mean, we do like, we, you know, we like players that um, um, are good teammates, which is a little more difficult. That's more of the, of the talking to coaches and talking to teachers and, and so on and so forth. Cause we, we didn't not kick over any rock. We kicked over every rock. We talked to principals. We talked to guidance counselors. We talked to coaches. Uh, in some, in some cases we talked to, um, housing parents, not to, not to, um, uh, uh, you know, go against privacy things, but what type of boy is this? Is this a, a boy that says please and thank you and, and make sure his room is tidy? Or is this a boy who's got an excuse for everything and it's always somebody else's fault? Um, so those are the things that I think most colleges are doing that, but during all that time and even uh, through Bowling Green and now, those are the, those are the no matter what's for us. We have to get that type of uh, person. And again, I, I think the competitiveness part um, uh, after competitiveness, the, the rest of it seems to come. I mean, yeah, we want to be able to skate. Yeah, we want to uh, be able to score. But if you're not willing to fight for that puck, it doesn't matter if you skate or, or, or score because you don't have it. Um, so that, that, that's something that we, uh, we look at pretty seriously. So the program of Bowling Green was on its last leg, 08-09. And there was talk of actually dropping the program. But to bring back the, the uh, glory campaign, got going, and they bring you on board, head coach in 2010. There were three losing seasons to start, but you ended with a run of six straight 20-win seasons. What were the key pillars of the foundation on which you rebuilt the program that was at such a low point when you took the reins? It was, it was uh, I mean, it was, it was people, relationships, and trust. And that's what it was. Those are the three pillars. That's the way it's always going to be. Um, we tried to cut corners at Bowling Green because I wanted to prove to people that I knew what I was doing as a head coach when I didn't. Um, the, the closest thing, in my opinion, going from one chair to the other, I thought I was a pretty decent assistant for Rico for 10 years. Um, uh, you, you, can't, you, you can't tell me what it's going to be like to change chairs until you do it. And, and, and this is so not the same, but when you become a dad, all your buddies say, hey, this is what it's going to be like to be a dad. And then you become a dad and they're not wrong, but until you become a dad, you just don't know. Well, that was the way I felt about being a head coach. And I just wanted to prove that the Greg Christopher and his people made the right choice. And, and you make mistakes. You get away from the pillars. You get away from people who are willing to get involved in relationship and willing to engage in trust. Um, yes, you have to be able to play the game at a certain level. There's no doubt about that. But if you're not the right person who doesn't want to have a relationship and doesn't want to trust, we're not going to, you're not going to become the best version of yourself. You're not going to be the best team we can be and, and so on and so forth. I mean, not, we, we took pride in getting the most out of people, but those were the pillars. Um, as I said early, it was difficult. I'm not sure how many people realize how awesome the fan base of Bowling Green hockey is. It is amazing. And, and the depth of people that care about that program is amazing. And there was plenty of room on the bandwagon, man, to jump back on. There was plenty <laughs> of room. We, we couldn't wait for people to jump back on. We, I remember the three of us, Ty, Barry, and myself, would look around that rink at BG with a half-full rink during the National Anthem, and we were saying, just wait. Just wait until this place gets going and the National Anthem is rocking. And, and we were lucky enough to get there on a couple of occasions and, and – and, uh, and get that program back to where it was relevant again. But it wasn't by mistake. A bunch of people uh, were questioning the first three years. This guy doesn't know what he's doing. <laughs> I was one of those people questioning. <laughs> uh, uh, but but uh, the, the, 
That's why you surround yourself with the best people because then they're the ones on that day that are saying, Burris, just relax, just keep doing the right thing. I remember, and I'm going to forget this, George McPhee was somebody I met pretty early in my, in my tenure there. The, you know how those, the, the big shots, everybody wants to go out and ask them, you know, to be supportive and maybe ask for money or whatever. So I go with the athletic director uh, and we sit down with George and he's this really intense guy and he's done so much, so many good things in the NHL. And his advice to me was just do the right thing every day. Do the right thing every day over and over again. And one day you're going to wake up and say, you know, we've got a pretty good program here. And I'm telling you, those are, that's something I've lived by since that day. I'm not a big cliche guy. I'm not that. I, I'm not a big reader. I, I, there are people that I really trust and, and, and uh, George is one of them. And um, that's what we did there. We, 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 we put these pillars in place after we've made our mistakes. And this is going to be about people. Uh, we're going to develop relationships amongst those people and we're going to trust one another. And then we're going to set the expectations and standards high every day. And that's what we did. Um, you know, I know Ty and Barry were out recruiting their, their, their rear ends off and getting the best people possible, best players possible. Uh, but that was all after the foundation was set of who we we're going to be. And we told people, if this sounds that something you don't want to be part of, don't come here because you're not going to like it. Um, you, 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 you won't, you won't want to trust me. You won't want to have a relationship with me, um, because you're not getting yours and that's going to be my fault. And that's something that I know a lot of coaches out there can, can understand what I'm saying because kids want to blame the coach. They want to blame the drill. They want to blame their line mate, their defensive partner, whatever it is, uh, instead of taking ownership, right. For what they do or don't do. Um, that's why the, the, the best people, um, because the other guys I don't do well with, when I sit down with the boy who just failed his math class and he tells me, or his math test, and he tells me the teacher did a poor job of preparing him for that test. That's not the kid I want to coach. <laughs> I don't do well with him. Um, so once we got to that point, then the league changed and, and, and the WCHA became, and the, and then the NCHC became, and, and we all of a sudden went from kind of a bottom feeder to a, to one of the top teams in the, in the league. Um, and then the winning happened. And then you started to get some momentum in recruiting. And now we didn't, I'm telling you, we didn't veer from the people, the relationships and the trust part. Uh, we just got more solidified in that. And then again, we were able to, to build it to a place where we were really proud and a national tournament team again. Are there a lot of parallels that you're seeing with uh, what you went through at Bowling Green and how you built there to what you're having to go through here at Miami? I think it's exactly the same. Yeah. I'm not sure how, how, serious people were about cutting the program at Miami, excuse me, excuse me, about cutting the program at Bowling Green back in 08, 09. Mm -hmm. The perception was they were pretty serious. That's the only difference. No one's talking about cutting the program here. The relevancy of Bowling Green hockey in 2009, uh, when we took over there, 2010, whatever it was, excuse me, 2010. Yeah. Um, and, the, and where Miami hockey is in terms of relevancy on our campus in the college hockey world, it's, it's exactly the same. We are trying to get young people to take ownership for what they do on a daily basis. And it's been difficult. It's been difficult. Uh, and so it, it's exactly the same. So what Barry and I and Eric are trying to do is act like we've been there before because we have. <laughs> um, keep doing the right thing every day. Set expectations and standards high. Get the best people possible. Establish relationships and trust in amongst those people and push people outside their comfort zone so we can become the best version of the individual and the best version of the collective. And that's, it's the same, man. It's the same. 
it's just I've had nine years of practice, uh, <laughs> and now we can we can bring it here. That that's where some of my energy uh, went last year and parts of this year because I, I was angry, right? I mean, for ten years we we fought to get Miami hockey right, and then we come back and it's and it's kind of not relevant again. And 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 all all that I don't operate good in that space in my mind. It, it's just it's a waste of energy. It's a waste of uh, time. Um, and, and it's no one's fault. It, it is what it is. This is where we are. Our job was to get it right again. And, and, and I feel like, um, that's the path we're on to getting it right. I'm not trying to ask you to, to point fingers or, or place blame. What causes something like that? Is it, is it, it has to be a collective yeah. amount of different things that ultimately go wrong at the same time. Yeah. And yeah. you are where you are. Is that, I think, I, I think you're bang on, man. I think it's a perfect storm. I don't think it's anybody's fault. I think you get some kids leaving early for pro. You get some kids uh, uh, not panning out. You get some kids maybe going to the OHL. Uh, you, you, you make some mistakes in recruiting. Like, because none of that, a kid who signs pro early is not a mistake. That's a good player who signs pro. I mean, that's, what are you going to do? But if you look back the last year, Corrali, uh, uh, Zarnik, uh, Coleman. I mean, these are kids that I had, I, I, I know these boys from the recruiting part of it. I never got to coach them. Um, that was Miami's last like big time team. And, and they were seniors, you know, you don't leave a year early or two years earlier or, or, and they weren't obviously mistakes and so on. So I, I don't, I think it was a perfect storm. That's what I think. The NCHC has been, has been difficult for Miami to really make an impact and be relative, uh, be, be, be relevant um, and that's just the reality of it. And if people say I'm wrong, they're, I'm not wrong. Uh, you look back at, I think the eight years or seven years of existence when Miami won the playoffs once, um, we've been relative, maybe two of those years, but uh, excuse me, uh, uh, relevant two of those years, not, not all eight of them. Um, so that came along. That's part of the storm that came along. Um, uh, so I, I just think there was a lot of things that happened at the same time. And, and, uh, um, what, what we're trying to do, again, is, is, is operate maybe a little bit of hindsight because we have it, so why not use it, uh -huh. um, and, and, and experience. We've been through this before. Keep doing things right every day, and let's get it back. But I'm telling you, it is, it's exactly the same, man. It's exactly the same. The expectations are too low. The standards individually and collectively are too low. Um, yes, our talent level is not where it's supposed to be, but that will, that will change. Um, so I'm, I'm telling you, it, it's the same, what we walked into there in 2010 and what we walked back into here in 2020, it's the same 2019. So when we checked in with you previously, right before you headed to Omaha in the pod, you talked to, uh, uh, Scott Harrington, uh, you were pretty clear that Miami program, as you just stated, uh, was not where you felt it belonged. Um, it, it takes time to turn any program around, especially yeah. in college. Uh, the struggling teams, they, they don't get high draft picks like the NHL. As a matter of fact, it's probably the exact opposite. It is. Um, exactly. So you're two seasons in right now. And you and again, I, I, I can't thank you for talking about the process in which you guys are, are going about in, in changing this. So you're two seasons in. Where do you think right now as the head coach, the program has progressed? Uh, we're probably solidifying the foundation, but we're not building up at all yet. Um, I, I want to even go back for like when they, when they called me, 
they being Steve Katie, the first guy to call me, um, I told him, this is what we're going to do. If you think it's going to be a quick fix, you got the wrong guy. We're going to come in here. We're going to build it slowly. And that may mean we have to tear it down before we can start going back up. And that's the reality of these rebuilds as far as I'm concerned. And again, that's not a blame. That's not a wrong versus right. That's a change statement. Change. We're, there, there was change. They, they wanted to make a change. We came in. This is how we're going to handle the change. We're going to tear it down and build it back up. Um, and I, I think we're solidifying the foundation. I can tell you this. My first year here, the daily expectations, standards, practice habits, so on, it wasn't even close to what this year was. Even late in the year with a team that had five wins, um, it was a good vibe in practice for the most part. Practice in college gets old for anybody. I don't sure. care if you're the team that hasn't, hasn't lost a game. Practice gets old. All we do is practice. Um, but but the, 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 just the, the overall vibe uh, this year was so much better than last year. We found a way to lose games this year. Last year, we weren't even in games. That's just the reality. Um, so we're, 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 we're solidifying a foundation. We are still in the process of, of figuring out who internally is pulling the rope the right way. That's coach speak. And I apologize, but that, I don't think people are pulling it against us, but if you're not pulling it with us, you're in the way. You're wasting your time and you're wasting our time. That is a lot different today than it was two years ago, as you can imagine. Yeah. Um, but but I, every, every one of these kids knows exactly what to expect on a daily basis. And they all know that you've chosen to be part of this now. There's no excuses. This opportunity that you have and what you do with it is your responsibility. If I'm getting in the way, tell me how so I can get out of the way. But what you do with the opportunity is your responsibility, not mine, not your line mates, not your moms, not your advisors. And, and we are so much further ahead there. So that's the foundation. That's the foundation. People, relationships, and trust. And if you don't trust me that this is your opportunity, or you don't trust me about the process, or you don't trust me about whatever, then go find somewhere else because the transfer portal is there. You can, yeah. <laughs> you can go find a place where it's not that important because what I'm telling you guys right now and what we've told these kids as we start to prepare for 21-22, it is a serious time for Miami hockey. And we need young people that are serious about themselves, no doubt. But they're serious about leaving Miami hockey better than they found it and building this thing back up to where we think it belongs. So I think where we are, the foundation has been laid. That's where we are. So let's talk about those kids I mean, you have 12 player recruiting class coming in in 2021. One of those kids, uh, you played with Brian Savage, his son, Rhett. So can you talk to us about your recruiting class? What does that look like for 21? Well, our recruiting class looks a little a little bit hodgepodge with, with the transfer portal. Okay, just being yeah. just being totally honest. Um, uh, the, 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 the kids we have coming in, the sign NLI kids, um, are, are kids that we inherited. I mean, Red Savage is somebody I've known since he was a little wee guy, just because of my relationship with with Brian. Um, uh, so it's 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 a little bit of one of those classes that's a little all over the place. I can tell you the focus is forwards. Our depth at forward is not good enough. What I think has been uh, uh, addressed is that forward probably four through eight, four through nine 
I don't know if anybody knows Vogel Huber or Hirschfeld, two Ohio kids that that's what they were for us. They were captains that, that, that would bite you every inch of the ice. I don't mean literally, I mean, figuratively, um, that, 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 that middle part of your lineup invaluable can play on both sides of the special teams. That's what next year's class is. We're going to add six forward, six forwards when we lose four. So we're adding internal competition there. We're going to go from 10 D to 11. So we're adding internal competition there. And then obviously we'll have three goaltenders with a, with an all league goalie returning. Um, so it, it's a class that's probably heavily focused on forwards. It, it, you're going to see there's some focus on size. I don't think we're big enough. I, I'm just, I'm just, I, I just don't think we are. Um, and, and we're still in the process of trying to establish who we are in the recruiting world to get that one, two, three forward that Miami has gotten the Zarnik, the Corrali, the, the Coleman, that, that forward, you know, I think, I think we got guys that are close to that. I'm just not sure we have that player. Um, so it, it, it's, again, I think it's a group that's competitive. I think it's a group that knows exactly what they're walking into and a group that chose to be part of that. They want to be coached. They want to be pushed and they're willing and they're not going to resent us for that. Um, and that, that's what I think next year's class is going to be. I, I think it's, again, it's a, it's a, it's a bunch of players that are going to, um, uh, you know, increase the internal competition on a daily basis. Now I know that's downplaying. They're better than just that, but that's big to have internal competition at all three positions. That's getting the most out of everybody. I mean, I mean, true depth, true yeah. depth. That's what I believe we're going to have next year. And we haven't had it yet. You know, I just want to, Jay, before you, you, you move on, I just want to say something to, especially for our listeners to understand, you, you know, we've had many coaches and many uh, hockey people on, on this podcast over the last year. And, you know, a lot of times, Coach, we hear, you know, we ask the same question. What's it look like? You know, we're good. This is going to be great. This and that. The honesty oh, God, that yeah. you come through is unbelievable. And that is a big part of why people come and trust you. There's, there's no punches thrown. This is how I feel. This is what I believe. This is who we are. Believe me or not, and we're going to move forward. And I, for any player that's looking to go play for a coach, you might want to look at the pedigree of, of, of Coach Bergeron because that trust is huge. And for you to come on any, it's not just our podcast, you'd say it to anybody, that this is where we are and we need to be here. We're not, we're not big enough. We're not fast enough. We're not whatever it may be. That's invaluable. So thank you for being that coach. And thank you because <laughs> that trust is huge. I wasn't sure what you were going to say. <laughs> oh, no, it's a joke. No, no. Is, I can tell you if I've learned anything, that's what I've learned. And, and what I want the boy and his parents to say is Bergeron did exactly what he said he was going to do. Not where I didn't know it was going to be like this. I didn't know you were going to care about how I practice. I didn't know you were going to care about my grades. I didn't know you were going to make me uh, skate with youth hockey kids. We, we hit him between the eyes with it. And if you don't want to come here, don't. Uh, that doesn't make you a bad guy or me a bad guy. It just makes it a bad fit. And that is where I'd like to see young people start really, truly making decisions because it's the right fit, not because of a video board or a one piece stick or a cool locker room, because that's not, that's not good enough. It's not, it's not a reason. That's why the transfer portal. <laughs> 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 so anyways, uh, I appreciate that. I mean, that's something I take pride in. And, but, but it's, it's, it's we don't hear enough of it though. That in, in our in today's society we don't. You know, well, we, you. we we yeah, we hear too much of what does a young man or even a young woman in, in sports 
What do they want to hear? And, and you, you just hit the nail right there, coach. In four years, you don't want to look at mom and dad and be like, well, I lied to you or I exactly. kind of deceived you a little bit. Those are the conversations coaches don't want to have. Yeah. And, and when you hit them, like you said, between the eyes from day one, no excuses. I tell you guys, that to me, in our level, that's the hardest thing about transition because you can't trade and you can't cut. And I don't know. I knew for 10 years what was being said in, in, in Blasi's office, in Rico's office, excuse me. And, and, and I don't know under what circumstances some of these boys committed to Miami. And, and that's hard for them. That's hard for them. Maybe they were promised something that I don't promise, maybe whatever. So in transition, that's why in, when these coaching changes happen in whatever sport, it takes until you have your people, right or wrong, you have your people in the, in the locker room because they all committed to come play for this plan. And, and, and quite honestly, we feel like a kid will call and say, I'm going somewhere else because he's listening. That sounds too hard. I want to do that. I don't want to trust the coach. I don't care about my coach. Well, then don't come here. I want you to care about me. I want you to know I have a wife and two kids. I want you, I want you to tell me about your mom and dad and your brother and your sister. Again, if we make you a better hockey player and that's it, we haven't done what we said we were going to do. Our commitment is to make you the best human being you can be to prepare you for life after Miami. If that includes hockey, so be it. If it doesn't, you're going to be ready. And that, that is what I really like about this level of coaching. So over the course of 20 plus years, how have you seen the game change in, in, in all your recruit recruiting exploits? How have you seen good and or bad the game change to what you look at when you're looking um, for perspective? You know, I, I think the game's the game itself is pretty similar. I, I, the kids are bigger, faster, stronger. I can tell you um, uh, when I look back at 35, 40 years ago, uh, and, and, and the way we handled it, it's changed immensely. Um, you know, I, I personally, I don't think it or don't know other than a, a rule here, a rule there. I, I thought our game was getting a little long. I mean, maybe that's a goofy thing to say. Maybe that's not where you were heading. But I think the two and a half, 245, three-hour hockey game, that you're, you're flirting with, we're in the entertainment business, man. And, and <laughs> I want to entertain, right? We want to entertain. It's, and there's, op there's options that go to the movies or go for dinner, whatever. I, I, I you know, I, again, I, I'm a coach, so I want to stay in my lane here, but we are in the entertainment business. And um, I, I, I thought our game was getting a little long, but I, I love our game. I do. It's not quite as reckless physical as it used to be. Yeah. Hockey, they, they've really clamped down anything borderline as a five minute major, uh, but and that's not being critical. Just that it used to be organized chaos where guys are running around. You got the mask on, right? Nobody's, nobody's answering. You guys know our sports always policed itself, junior yeah. pro, you know, you start running around, you're going to have to answer for that. Well, not in college, but never been that way. I think it, it has calmed down that way over 20 years. Um, but I, I, I personally, I love the game. I don't think it's changed that much. I, I still think it's a great product. I still think it's a it's an entertaining product, um, and I'm proud of I'm proud to be part of it. So, talking about entertainment, <laughs> talk to us a little bit about what it was like to play at the old Toledo Sports <laughs> Arena. <laughs> um, I mean, come on, you got to have stories upon stories with that. Oh yeah, I I, I uh, we. I, I got sent down. So the initial, the initial is disappointment, right? You're getting sent from triple A to double A. So I get sent down from Adirondack, uh, Glens Falls, New York to Toledo. 
I'm kind of from that area, right? As I said, about I was an hour and a half from Detroit, so two and a half from Toledo. I think my family may have, my parents or my my girlfriend may have been at the first game, something. So I hear all this stuff. Well, the first shift I am in the sports arena, I score a goal. And that, I, that's not the, this, but this, I'm like, I was looking around thinking, I can't believe hockey is this popular in Toledo, Ohio. I, I just, <laughs> I couldn't believe it. We, we, as you're sitting on the end of the home bench, you're sitting next to somebody like uh, the, 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 a patron, I mean, drinking beer and probably smoking a cigarette. So who knows? <laughs> I mean, when you walk from the locker room, up the stairs, down the stairs, onto the ice. Uh, you were walking right through the crowd. Um, uh, the, 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 the Halloween night costumes were totally offside. No pun intended. Uh, it was, it was, yeah. uh, we, we won, we won the second, the, the championship we won was in Raleigh, the one I was part of. And that was the second year of the back-to-back. And we get, we fly into Detroit there's um, there's there's fans at the Detroit airport welcoming the storm home. I'm thinking I can't believe this, man. I cannot. <laughs> I could not believe it. The the how popular the Toledo Storm were in Toledo, and then the home, the home ice advantage at the old Sports Arena. Our first our first series in the playoffs that year was against Dayton. It was two out of three. Game number three went to like three overtimes or four overtimes. We ended up winning. I mean, it was it was nuts. It was nuts, and we had. We had arguably the toughest team. We had some like like legitimately tough players, which is what Chris McSorley mandated. He he, we had to have that. Mark Deasley, Barry Potomsky. I mean, it, it was it was an extremely tough team. Alex yeah. Alex Hick with two hundred forty minutes of penalties. Uh, Alex Hicks Alex Hicks had two hundred forty minutes of penalties, and he had like thirty goals. Like he, <laughs> he was a great player. He's yeah. an assistant coach at Arizona State right now. But Ian Duncan, you guys know. I mean, you yeah. guys. Oh yeah. Dunk, I mean. Ian Duncan could could do whatever you wanted. You want to run run a guy over. You want to fight. Duncan could do that. You want him to score a goal. That was our team in Toledo. Greg Pahalski. I mean, it was ridiculous how good our team was. And well, I think I think the crazy thing about Greg Pahalski, he was also the assistant coach. Oh yeah, yeah, player assistant. He was Red Zumba. He was Red Zumba. He was Red Zumba, and he told he was the one that told us about McSorley's briefcase with the apple and the stickers bar. And I'm telling you, man, it was it was a. It was a it was a, a smorgasbord of characters and and the fans. It was what a what a relationship between the storm and their fans. At least the 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 couple because I went back for another tour uh, when when Chief was the coach when Greg was the coach. Um, him and I had a good relationship when we were teammates that year in '93 or '90 whatever it was. Um, so I went back and played for him a couple different times and. Uh, man, he, Greg Pahalski, he's a, he's a legend in Toledo. But so is Dunk. So is Hixie. Rick Horrible, <laughs> man. I mean, it, it, oh, yeah. it's crazy. Did you guys take the cup to the Blind Pig and enjoy a few uh, beverages we, there? We, we, we took the cup to the Console Tavern, which is no longer there. And that place, man, I, I spoke to a group at a, at this, a church group slash school group. And the, 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 the address was Console Street. It, it, <laughs> I'm telling you the truth. And as I stand up there, I'm like, does anybody know where the old Consol Tavern was? And they're like, oh, yeah, man, you see right there. I'm telling you, we would leave the sports arena. We didn't have to cross the river because we were on that side already. And we'd go right to the Consol Tavern. Now, again, this is going back where you'd, you'd go in at 1 o'clock in the afternoon. You'd leave. It was dark. Yeah. <laughs> Not on a game night, obviously. But, yeah. So, 
We took so the that, cup everywhere. We took the cup everywhere in yeah. Toledo. That, that I can only – have you ever seen that commercial for Las Vegas where the guys take the uh, flower? Yes. yes. That, that's, I can just imagine that. <laughs> yeah. It wasn't quite limousines and, and not sexy, but it was, it was that much fun. Right, it was right. that much fun. So, that, so then you, you spent some time in the IHL with the Cyclones and – and obviously great rivalry with the lumberjacks up here in Cleveland. Yeah. Ever have any run-ins with Jock or Jeff Christensen? Or Rick jo- Jock used to say to me, cause I, I was like the checker um, third line, you know, grinder guy at the, at the triple a level. And our team in Cincinnati was good. Uh, Paul Lawless, Don Biggs. I mean, we had, we had really good players and Jock would say, he would always have something to say to oh, Bergeron, stop running around. You, you don't belong out here. <laughs> <laughs> You know, they had they had a guy named Rick Hayward who was a who oh, was yeah. a tough guy on the on D, and, and he 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 was a scary guy. I had heard I had heard stories about him. We had a tough team, like Mark Labelle, um, Eric Dandino. We had some tough guys on our team too, um, but I I I I wasn't going to go go near Hayward very often. And Jock Jock, it seemed like I was always up against him. He was always the centerman against me, and and. Uh, uh, I wasn't up to his standards for sure, but he had lots to say about me. <laughs> apparently, apparently uh, I've got a big nose. I didn't know that. And, and a lot of guys used to tell me that uh, on the opposing teams. And I'm sure Jock was one of those guys. Well, well, Hayward, uh, he Toledo guy. Oh, is that is that right? I he grew know. up in Toledo, yeah. Okay. He grew up in Toledo, yeah. Uh, there was a Rick Hayward that played goal for, like, Montreal. And yeah. I first heard stories. I'm like, no, no, it's a different guy. And they're like, no. This Hayward that plays in Cleveland, stay away from him. <laughs> He's a yep. tough guy. <laughs> yep, absolutely, absolutely. Well, hey, Coach, um, thank you so much for spending some time with us to talk about uh, your career as playing, coaching, uh, and then some entertaining conversation there at the end about yeah. uh, the old Toledo Sports Arena. So we do appreciate it, and uh, um, you know, hopefully we can get you back on soon. Good luck with prepar- uh, preparing for the upcoming season, uh, and hopefully it's a little bit smoother than this past year with COVID. Yeah. And everyone stay safe. So thank you again. I appreciate it, fellas. I'll talk anytime. I appreciate you having me. And and uh, I wish all the best for Ohio hockey. I really do. You guys stay safe. All right. Thank you, Coach. Thank you, Coach. The third period of this episode of the Ohio Hockey Digest On Air podcast is brought to you by the United States Premier Hockey League. The 2021 USPHL NCDC Combines are set to take place in Detroit, Michigan, April 23rd and 24th, and Chicago, Illinois, May 14th and 15th. Players born between January 1st, 2001 and December 31st, 2005 will be eligible. Limited openings available for all positions. The USPHL and its tuition-free division, the NCDC, are providing an unparalleled comprehensive on and off ice recruiting opportunity for players from throughout the United States. More than 150 players committed to college hockey over the 2019-2020 NCDC season alone and there are currently over 50 division one committed players skating in the NCDC register at www.usphl.com forward slash combines well Lev uh, last week or last two would be two weeks ago now we we talked with coach Joe Batista and one of the things we talked about was his book pragmatic passion this week, we talked to Chris Bergeron. You want to talk about intense passion? Oh. oh, my gosh. It is intense passion from that guy from the word go. And I appreciate it. And like I mentioned when we were interviewing him, I appreciate the honesty that he says. 
He said straight up, we're not where we need to be. You know, listen, this guy's trying to recruit kids. And I don't, I don't know who listens to our podcast or who doesn't. I really don't care. But if I was a guy that was getting recruited to go to Miami and I listened to this podcast to see what Coach Bergeron said, I'd be, I'd be going, when are we going to Oxford? How do I get there? We'd be rolling two a days. We'd right. Be like, the, we'd be in the gym training two a days and making sure we're studying in between them. The, the honesty <clears throat> that he shows, and, and I do want to share to our listeners what uh, he did talk to us a little bit about after, uh, and he said he wished he would have said it, so I'll say it for him. Going back to his alma mater, even though he knew it was a mess, was something special to him. Yeah. And there's a lot of people out there that have been put in those positions that can feel that and they can understand that. 100%. So, I mean, you know, I think <clears throat> a theme that's going, at least through the uh, coaches that we speak with, identify great people, find great people, 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 human beings, not just hockey players. Yeah. And that's how you build. You build with, what did he say? Re- with relationships, with just honesty. And, and I, I love the fact when, when he says, this is what we're doing. If that seems too hard or that's not what you want to be about, cool. Don't come. Find somewhere else. Because we ain't changing. This is what we're doing. And uh, I liked how he said he started with his staff. I mean, they, his staff brings what he wants. His staff brings the quality that he's after. And from there, they're learning the rest. And as he said, they went through it for nine years. They know how to fix it. Yeah, they, they definitely have the experience of that, you know. And and but and then getting to hear his time of playing with the old storm uh, up there in, in Toledo and, and, you know, learning about that. And I don't know, good stuff. We had we've heard some great stories about that old sports arena. So, yeah, we're, we've been very fortunate in the what are we on? 47 episodes here. Yeah. Closing in on the 5-0, the half century. The old 5-0. The 5-0. Wow. Bye, Felicia. Um, <clears throat> but we've been, we've been very fortunate that uh, we, we've spoke to a lot of great people. And we've, I mean, I know I could speak to both of you guys and, and also the, the guy that comes periodically, um, part-time, that we've learned a lot. And, and I hope our listeners have learned a lot, too, from the different people we've had on. Thanks for joining us this week. This is On Air, the Ohio Hockey Digest. Continue to grow the game as best as we can. On Air. I can't stand you, put my tapes like you bustin' grapes.